Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. You guys having a good Easter weekend? I had the joy of performing a wedding for two of our very own Roxanne Brown and Eugene Albert yesterday. And such a great weekend. And speaking of weddings, I heard a story of a young man. He was a huge football fan, and he had wanted his whole life to go to the Super Bowl. He finally had enough money to buy tickets. He buys two tickets, several thousand dollars apiece. But it's months in advance, and he doesn't realize that the date of the Super Bowl falls on the date of his wedding. So he decides to take out a Facebook ad, see if someone wants to go in his place, and he says the event will take place at four o'clock at First Presbyterian Church. The girl's name is Jennifer. All right. Speaking of hopeless situations, we are in a series on hope. And uh, church, I want to give you some hope-filled news Some of you have been tracking with us for years. We launched the church publicly in the small auditorium right there. We moved into here. We had flooding. That moved us over to Crawford High School. And we've been in the quest for a a permanent home. And this place is going under construction. Some of you have seen that. And on May 20th, a wrecking ball is showing up to destroy that building out there. And our two parking lots will be taken over. And so May 20th, remember that, remember that date, because we started scrambling, looking for a place to move this group of people to. And we thought we had a couple of different locations. We have to have a big location. We want to stay in our area, reaching City Heights and SDSU, as we care about the whole city. But this is the area God's called us into And everything kept falling through, and we just received some amazing news and signed a contract. We'll be moving on to San Diego State on May 21st. And you probably have been watching the massive new student union building being built, an unbelievable auditorium. Guys, we have all the children's rooms we could want with carpet and air condition. Unbelievable. So God is, uh, God is taking us on the next journey. So the day we needed to have a place, God opened up the opportunity for us. Uh, Dr. Paul Menifee is a San Diego State professor. He opened the door for us, and we're super thankful. And we'll be there this summer as we continue to believe for God to give us a permanent facility where we can host his presence 24-7. We're going to continue talking about hope today, and this is the culmination of our hope series, and today I want to talk to you from the topic, hope is here. It's what Easter's all about, that hope is here, and I want to look at a story of someone who was very unlikely to receive the hope of Jesus. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7 today. If you turn with me to verse 36 of Luke chapter 7, it says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. 
As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 100 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to him, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this that even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to watch this. jar. I had heard Jesus was coming to our town, would be dining in a house nearby, and something told me, go and buy this jar and take it to that house and honor him with it. I had been to that neighborhood before, to many homes in that place, always ushered in through the back doors and under the cloak of darkness. I was wanted by night, but not by day. But I went there, and I was clutching this jar so tight, I was afraid I would drop it, it cost me a fortune. And as I walked the streets, the eyes of the neighborhood greeted me with disdain. They wondered, what was I doing there? I was unwanted. A sinner, unworthy. But I was going to see the Lord face to face no matter what. So I walked right through the front door. I found the room where they were eating and I saw him. Oh, I had never seen him before, but I knew that it was him because of the way the other men at the table looked at me harshly. Embarrassed, ashamed, judging me, willing me away. Oh, I knew him because the look in their eyes was so different from the look in his. It was compassion. 
compassionate, welcoming. He smiled at me and I fell. Falling on my knees, I started weeping, hot, heavy tears onto his feet. All the years of anguish of being shuffled through back doors and pushed into dark corners, kept on the wrong side of town until I was convenient for them, but never loved by them. All the hurt and the shame was just flowing out of me onto his feet. And having nothing else clean to wipe his feet, I I used my hair and I kissed his feet over and over and over again. And then, remembering the jar, I broke off the top and I poured the oil all over his feet. I didn't even think of the cost anymore. It was nothing to me. But I heard the room gasp. No matter the cost, I had to thank him, honor him, love him for loving us, the unlovable. And finally, after all my tears had cried, every last drop of sweet-smelling oil on his feet, my hair wet and tangled around my face, I must have looked a sight. And then I felt them, the eyes of all those indignant men staring me into oblivion. I heard them snicker and jeer. They started muttering under their breath at one another, calling me a homewrecker, tramp, sinner. <laughs> they would know. I turned to Jesus to see if his eyes had turned from soft to stone, but they were warm and water-filled. He smiled at me like I had worth. And he told a simple story. Two men owed money to a moneylender, one a very small amount and the other a very large amount. And the debtor forgave both their debts. And then he asked them, who do you think will love him more? The one with the small debt forgiven or the big one? <laughs> it was obvious. It was so obvious that was me. The one with the greater debt, with the enormous suffocating, life-stealing debt. I smiled back as he smiled at me. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I was able to walk out of that room safely and forgiven and loved. I keep thinking, those who think they have been 
forgiven little? Do they love little? Because those of us who know we have been forgiven so much, we will love so much. So powerful. I want to draw out for you today several points in this text that we must lay hold of to understand the hope that Jesus has called us to. You know, the first word I want to look at is the word Pharisee. Who was a Pharisee? A Pharisee was a religious leader. They had gone through all kinds of schooling in order to know the strict moral code to which they were supposed to live by. They had different kinds of apparel that they wore with boxes on their heads that everyone could see with scripture in it, and they had different tassels on their garments that showed that they were a very spiritual person. The, the reason they did all these things is they thought that this merited favor, this garnered the love of God to them, and this is the home that Jesus has come into. Now, contrasted with a Pharisee, you've got to look at the phrase that says, a woman who had lived a sinful life. It's the woman we just saw right there. A woman who had lived a sinful life comes in, and she boldly comes into this house. Now, you've got to think of how profound this is, because most of the time, people don't go where they know they're not wanted, right? Have you ever known you're not wanted somewhere? That's the last place on earth you want to show up, especially if you feel like you're going to be shamed or scorned. I remember as a young man, and we had driven through the lawn of a church, and it was wet, and we had put huge ruts in the lawn, and one of my friends had run over a tree in the yard, and we got called in by the pastor. Ooh, I did not want to go. Because I knew I was going to be scorned and shamed. It was a a horrible experience. And and imagine what she was experiencing. Because everyone in the town knew how she was living. This sinful woman, most scholars believe that she was probably even a prostitute. At least we know that she was very sexually promiscuous. She boldly comes in to the room. Not only did she know she'd be scorned or shamed, she was risking her life. Like at that time... She could have been stoned. But why did she come? Because her decision to meet with Jesus eclipsed any fear she had of shame or pain or even death. Why? Because she understood hope is here. Hope is in that house, and I've got to get to hope. And so she boldly comes in, and then what does it say? It says, she stood there weeping. Why does someone weep? It's because they're overcome with emotion. We, 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 we cry when we sense a deep emotion welling up in us. It's not something we can control. 
I believe there was two reasons why she was weeping. First of all, as she comes into the presence of Jesus, him who's perfect, him who is love, him who's flawless, I believe she understood how unworthy she was. She understood just how sinful she was. But then second, I believe as she came into the presence of Jesus, one of the reasons she was weeping is she understood how much he loved her in the midst of her unworthiness. So she stands there weeping, and it says this, that her tears start pouring onto his feet. And and what does she do? She takes a perfume bottle, and she pours that out on him. you got to get out of your mind a little cheap bottle of perfume bought at CVS Pharmacy. Like back in ancient days, every bit of perfume would have been handmade from the crushing of flowers. It would have taken a long time. And so it was very expensive, a very costly gift that she comes and just pours out on Jesus. And as she's pouring that perfume on him, as her tears are falling on his feet, then she goes, I've got to wipe off that dirt that's on his feet. I've got to wipe off that mud. I've got to wipe off those tears. And so she takes her hair and lets it down. I can't demonstrate that right now. But she, ta- she takes her, wingy, wingy. She, uh, she takes her, her hair, she takes her hair, and with her hair, she's down on her feet, and, and she is taking up the grime and the dirt. I mean, if this isn't humiliating enough, she's in a room of all men, women and men didn't mix company, she's a sinful woman, she's already getting scorned, then she's doing something so tender and so unorthodox as she's just crying more and more, wiping his feet with her hair. And if you're thinking, this is awkward, then you're right. Like, this was an awkward display This is a a, a fully abandoned act of worship. She didn't care. Have you ever seen someone just kind of like go off emotionally? You know, maybe they're so thankful. Maybe it's on a game show and someone wins the new car. And they're like, wah, going crazy. And you're like, you're on TV. Like, bring it down. And they jump on the host and they're kissing him. And they're like, whoa, whoa, you know. Imagine that times 10. This is what's going on. This, this outpouring of emotion and love. And so then we flip back to the Pharisee because the disparity between the two reactions to Jesus couldn't be larger. The Pharisee looks at her and has disdain and, and, and even looks at Jesus and feels the same. Look at, look at what he says. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You know, the the Pharisees thought themselves as better than sinners. Uh, Perhaps I could say it this way. A Pharisee's hope was in his own righteousness, in his own goodness. Uh, A Pharisee thought he could be good enough for God. And maybe you think, well, I don't see many Pharisees around San Diego, I'm not seeing people with long robes and boxes on their heads. And, but I want to tell you that I'm, I meet people like this all the time. You, you start talking to them, maybe you've had this experience. You start talking to, to them about their relationship with God, and they say, oh, yeah, me and the man upstairs, we're good. You know, I'm not a bad person. 
I, I, I do good things. I don't do anything too bad. And I try to help people. And I, I try to help the poor. And, you know, I, it's so confounding to think that compared to the goodness and perfection of a loving God, that we could ever be good enough to please him. Like, have you thought about this? Like, I, I don't know about you, but like, I've done some bad stuff, folks. I, I don't know about you, but I've thought some bad thoughts. Like, I've thought bad thoughts even driving to church. Hopefully they were not about you. <laughs> but, but I, so to think that I could be good enough for God, like, well, I've done enough good to merit God's favor, it's absurd. The, the Bible says this, that there's no one righteous, no, not one. That's what the truth of the Bible says, because some of us in this room might be thinking, you know, I'm not that bad. Certainly God's going to let me into heaven. Certainly God's going to let me be with him. No, no, the Bible says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has sinned in this room? All of us. All the hands went up. That's the best altar call I've ever given. <laughs> all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one who's good enough to work themselves into God's presence. But the Pharisees thought they were good enough. So watch how Jesus answers him. He, it said, he said to himself, so he's thinking to himself, this, this woman's a sinner, and if he was really the Messiah, then he'd know what kind of woman she is, and she's a sinner. And he says this, he looks at that Pharisee and goes, Simon, you, you see how profound that is? He doesn't say, oh, Pharisee. He doesn't say, excuse me, religious leader. He doesn't say, excuse me, person who's always lived according to the moral code and eaten what is dietarily right. He doesn't say that. He says, Simon, why? Because God doesn't see us after our job. God doesn't see us after what we wear. God doesn't see us after the neighborhood you're from. God doesn't see you from the family you're in. You know what God sees? He sees you. Like he sees little old you. He says, Simon, the same name that his mama called him when he was a little boy. He says, Simon. I think Simon went, whoa, he just called me by my name. And he goes, let me tell you a story, Simon. There is a guy, and he'd lent out some money. And to one person, he had lent out 500 denarii. And you're like, what's 500 denarii? That's two years' wages. So let's just say they were making some good wages, and that was $100,000. He goes, he's lent $100,000 to one guy, and he's lent just a tenth of it, 10000 to another. And neither of them can pay, so the master who lent it decides to totally wipe it clean and forgive. He goes, Simon, which one do you think is going to love the master more? Simon goes, well, I guess the one who had $100,000 forgiven loves him more. Jesus said, bingo, you got it. That's exactly right, Simon. Well, why did he tell him a story? It's because so oftentimes in life, we see everyone else's issues except our own. And Jesus could have said, Simon, you got issues. Simon, you're prideful, you need to repent. But instead, he wanted Simon to grapple with it in his heart and go, you know what? Oh, oh I get it. I, I see what's going on here. 
This is what the scripture says. It says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that can forgive sins? They understood that only God could forgive sins. So Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven. And they're going, holy smokes, this is crazy. He just forgave her sins. Verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't miss this here. This woman didn't work herself into forgiveness. It wasn't because she came and got on her knees and cried and washed his feet and anointed his head with oil. That's cool. That's a sign of love. But Jesus said that's what she was showing her love through because she knew that she was forgiven. How was she saved? She was saved through faith. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, this woman was different than Simon. Simon was prideful, and he thought, I can save myself. This woman was humble and said, I need a Savior. And so she'd do anything to get to Jesus. If you thought that monologue was powerful, it's because the, the woman who is performing it actually has a real-life story, much like the character she was portraying. Uh, that was Julie Ludlam. And Julie and her husband, Michael, they moved here about a year ago. Michael's a long, uh, lifelong friend of mine. I just got to know Julie when they moved here. Uh, you might have recognized her. She played Miss Cratchit in our Christmas musical. And, and Michael, her husband, played Ebenezer Scrooge. Uh, different accents, obviously, than this acting debut. But we took them out to dinner. And I know Michael's story, but I said, Julie, can you share with me and Steph, my wife, can you share with us your story of coming to faith? And for the next half hour, our jaws just gaped wide open as we were overwhelmed with what she had been through and what God had done in her life. And I said, I've got to let our church family see that. So I want you to just watch a snippet of her testimony here and see what God has done. My earliest childhood memories are of a lot of pain. Things really spiraled out of control when my brother died when I was 11, and it just set me on a path of real destruction. I ended up with a cocaine addiction and various hospitalizations, which brought me into homelessness. I lived on the streets for a year. I was raped multiple times. I was imprisoned. I've intentionally put myself into situations where I thought, please, somebody just kill me. I just wanted somebody to take away my pain. I finally went home after a year of my parents not knowing where I was. After that, I was invited to a harvest crusade. There was an altar call. And I just knew, I felt God stirring in my heart, like, I have to go. And I learned that I could be born again. 
And I didn't have to end my life. I could be given a new one. And that was such a huge revelation. I just And so I went down, I almost ran down the steps of this stadium to go and receive the Lord and get prayed for. And it felt so good to know, like, now I am on solid ground walking with the Lord. And I'm leaving. Amazingly, I see one of the people who raped me when I was living on the street. How, how could he be here? Like, it rocked my world for just a moment. I thought, that's not okay. He can't be here. And I went, but I'm forgiven. He's forgiven too. My new life was received from forgiveness. So how could I be unforgiving to anybody who hurt me? And things for a time were amazing. And then I started acting. When I started acting again, I was around a lot of people who did not believe. And so little by little, seeds of doubt were planted. I started to believe that there was more than one path to God. And I started looking into the occult and new ageism. Then I was back into a life of debauchery, sexual sin, and I was spiritually dead. And I think one of the main reasons was that I just was so full of guilt. I had two abortions. I thought the only way to stay with my boyfriend was to have the abortion. I didn't want it, and he did. But the second time, I knew better. I hated myself so much until I started looking again at other Christians and going, I want that. The only joy that I had ever known was when I was walking with Jesus. I was listening to the radio was just kind of playing with the Christian station to see if maybe it would speak to me. And I don't know what that song was, but it floored me. I, I had to pull over. I couldn't see through the walls of tears that were pouring out of me. And I just said, God, I don't know if you're real anymore. I want to be alive again. I want to live with you. If you will have me, won't you please forgive me and be with me? And I just felt like Jesus was like, oh, I've been waiting for you. I felt so surrounded with Jesus. I felt like he was just there holding me. And I felt God tell me that he didn't die to save perfect people. He died and rose again for me because I'm a sinner and I don't have to clean myself up to be with him. I just need to love him. I just need to believe in him. And he does the work. And there was nothing that could separate me from his love except me. I had such peace and such grace and love and acceptance, full acceptance. And I didn't have to carry any more guilt or shame. And God just continued to pour out blessing on me. And he gave me this man, my husband, who loves me, adores me. And he gave me children, five beautiful children. And I have this family. I always thought that I was on the outside looking in at everybody's happiness that I could never know. And now I just feel like with Jesus, I'm on the inside. And he's inside me. And life's not perfect but I have a savior.
and I have a life abundant. Come on, you can clap. Wow. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? You know, if there's something we learn from Julie's story, we see that God is good even when we are not. You know, she was in a hopeless situation, but she found hope, and his name was Jesus. God meets us in the midst of our sin. He's not waiting for you to clean up your life to come to him. The Bible says it this way in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the message of Easter, that Jesus Christ died on a cross, an excruciatingly painful death. Why? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But he died in your place. If you've ever wondered why Jesus went to the cross, it was for you. Because he didn't want you to die and spend eternity in hell separated from the love of God. So he took your place and he died for you. On Saturday, he stayed in the grave. He was dead. But on Sunday, on the third day, on Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death once and for all. That's why we celebrate Easter. You see, the Bible says this, for God so loved the world. Who is the world? It's me. It's every single one of you. For God so loved you. God loved you that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, Whoever would trust in him, whoever would put their faith in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is the Savior, and he's waiting to give you eternal life. He's waiting for you to meet him. The Bible says it this way. Revelation 20, it says, 2.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone would open the door, I'll come in and commune with him. He is waiting, and on hearts this morning, he is knocking at the door saying, Will you let me in? Will you be like that woman? Will you make the decision? Will you give your life to me? The Bible says it this way. That if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How do you know that your sins are forgiven? How do you know that you have a relationship with God? How do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? It's when you pray and invite Jesus to become the Lord of your life. And I want to give you a chance to do that this morning. I want to give you a chance to meet Jesus. Would you just stand up with me right now, church? And would you be very quiet? Would you close your eyes in an attitude of prayer? Bow your heads. This is the most important moment of the whole morning because this is the chance you have to meet Jesus. Maybe you've never met him before. I want to give you a chance to make a decision to come to him. Or maybe you've walked far away from him. Like Julie had said she did later on. She walked away from him. But you know this morning, I want to come back. I want to come to Jesus. 
This morning, you're just saying, I, I, I want to meet Jesus, or I need to come back to Jesus. I want to give you a chance to make a decision. I'm going to have you just in a moment raise your hand if that's you. And, and we're not going to point you out, but I'm going to be able to lead you in a prayer where you actually ask Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, to come into your heart. And he says that if you do that, he will come. He'll forgive your sins, and he'll give you a new life in him. If that's your desire this morning, I I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. No one looking around, but you say, yes, that's what I want. I want Jesus. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, he loves you so much. Two, he's waiting for you. Three, just raise your hand if that's you all over this room. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I see so many hands. Who else? Just boldly raise your hand if that's you. Don't wait. Just boldly raise your hand. I see your hand, too, and I see yours, ma'am, and I see yours, sir. Who else? Just raise your hand. Just like that woman, you say, I need to come. Or maybe you're like Simon. You said, I thought I, I, thought I needed him, but I need him more than I ever dreamed. Now, I just want the prayer team to come down right now, and if you have your hand, would you just step out of the aisle? You come. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If your hand is up, you just come right now. Just come. Step on in the aisle, even if you're in the center. If you need a friend. If your friend was raising their hand, just grab them and say, let's go down. You just come right now. Let's give a hand to these different ones.